Good morning. Y'all got quiet in a hurry. To welcome you all here this morning, it's a great day to be alive and a great day to worship our God and our Savior. Um, if you would, take a moment to silence your cell phones, turn them off, put them on vibrate so we don't have any interruptions during the service. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. We ask that you would fill out a visitor card, drop it in the collection plate or in the box in the back, or give it to somebody. We'd like to have a record of your attendance. Today we have two uh, life group potlucks going on. Gary's group two and my group three. Uh, Gary will be in the middle auditorium, and we will be, my group will be in the far auditorium. And if you're visiting with us, you're more than welcome to hang out, have a meal with us. We'd like to get to know you better. Uh, well, there'll be plenty of food, so uh, you're more than welcome to do that. <clears throat> uh, if you would, pick up a bulletin in the back, a listing of all of our sick shut-ins, uh, those in need of prayers, upcoming events. And if you would this morning, please stand now. <laughs> and... Uh, Listen to a reading from Psalm 67 and then remain standing for the opening song, please. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, that your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God, and may all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. First hymn, number 547, Rejoice, the Lord is King. <clears throat> Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King of all. Rejoice, thank and sing and cry out evermore.
Next hymn this morning, number 399, Let the Lord be praised, O Zion. <clears throat> After this hymn, Brother Brian Ward will have our scripture reading and prayer. Let the Lord be praised, O Zion. Magnify his holy name in The scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from the Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom all, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, we're thankful for this opportunity we have to come here this morning to study from your word. Father, we pray that you would be with all those that are taking part in this service, Father, that is pleasing in your sight. Father, we're thankful for everything you do for us, and we're thankful for this nation that we live in. We pray that you would be with the leaders, Father. Help them to, to think of you and, and your will, your, your desires, as they make decisions for us. Father, we pray that you be with all the sick that are listed. Father, be with them. Guide, guard, and direct them, Father. Help all those that are helping them. Father, we're thankful for you sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. 
And it's through his name that I pray. Amen. Next in this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, 662. There is a fountain. 662. In Genesis chapter 6, between the fall of man and the flood, uh, God said that he was sorry that he made man upon the earth. That stings, and that's, uh, that's hard to read. It's hard to think that God would find regret in the most precious part of his creation. Of course, at the time, God's solution, his temporary solution was to to have Noah build an ark and, and to save Noah's family on the ark. Uh, but Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 about a, a better and permanent uh, solution to our sins. Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And so as we gather around the table this morning, let's think about the sacrifice that was made. And I'd also like to mention uh, before we pray this morning that there's a number of our members that are worshiping from home. So if you are watching from home this morning, uh, we invite you to our Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Our Father, our God in heaven, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, Father, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. Father, we ask your blessing upon this bread. We're mindful of his body that was broken upon the cross, the pain that he endured, not for himself, Father, but for us. Father, bless us as we take this bread. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we continue our thanks. We're mindful of the blood that was shed on our behalf. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we have to reflect back on the sacrifice that was made for us. Father, I ask your blessing upon this cup. I ask that you would bless each of us that partake of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Is there anyone that was missed? As we enter into our giving, I would like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so mindful of so much that we have been given. Father, we are mindful at this time of, of the, the blessings that, that you grant each of us that we cannot put a price on. And Father, we ask your blessing upon each of us now as we give back financially a small part of, of what we have been given. Father, bless the elders as they decide how the funds will be appropriated. Watch over them and watch over this church and bless us as we give back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. <clears throat> we'll sing hymn number 585, Soldiers of Christ Arise. <clears throat> we do have the Children's Bible Hour uh, offered this morning. Uh, there is a class for two to five-year-olds, and there's a class for kindergarten to second grade. So at this time, if you'd like to go, uh, you can leave as we sing this song. 585, Soldiers of Christ Arise. We'll sing the first three verses. Soldiers of Christ, arise, and search for the heart of God. Strong in the strength which God is Oh, 
meditation hymn for this morning, number 653, The Way of the Cross, 653, Brother Chris. Good morning. Last week in Acts chapter 21, we met Paul as he was trying to find a way to make ends meet between him and the Jews. And James has a suggestion that he purify himself, indicating to these Jewish people that he hasn't turned his back on the Mosaical law, but that he has in fact um, been talking about how Jesus fulfills that old law. So he's looking for ways to make concessions, to make friends with these Jewish people, just so he can get his foot in the door, so he can help them listen about Jesus. That's his ideal. He, he wants to be, we would call it in a Bible study with these Jewish people, but to get in a Bible study with them, he's got to make some concessions, some, do some things that are difficult uh, in order to get them just to listen, because they're not going to listen unless he makes those concessions. He makes them. Uh, he, he purifies himself. There's nothing wrong with what he did, of course. It's, it's, not, it's not sinful, um, but it is something that um, would have been difficult for him to, to do. And so he does that, and then today we're going to find out how well that went. It didn't go well. Spoiler alert. They still don't like him. So he's going to be in the temple. It's his right to be in the temple. The temple was a place for Jewish people. Paul is a a Jew's Jew. He is a good, observant Jewish person who sees that the Mosaical law was always pointing towards Christ. And so it's his right to be in the temple. He's in the temple for the purpose of purification. He is, he's taken that vow in an effort to um, appease the Jewish people just to get them to listen to what he's saying. And so he's in the temple there and they, they find him and they recognize him. And you know what they do? They start beating him. Interestingly enough, What happens is recorded for us in Acts chapter 21, and you need to see what happens to Paul. Acts chapter 21, starting in verse uh, 27, here's what happens. He's in the temple, right? When the seven days were almost completed, his his purification rites, the Jews from Asia, the ones from Ephesus that that started the riot in Ephesus, they've, they've moved uh, to Jerusalem, and here they are, uh, causing Paul the exact same problems in, in Jerusalem that they caused him in Ephesus. They see him in the temple, they stir up the whole crowd, and they laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! So they're looking at their Jewish brothers and sisters and saying, Hey, we need help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought ten Greeks in the temple and has defiled this holy place. None of that's true, but it's their impression of him, right? For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, in the city and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then the whole city was stirred up. These guys, they did their job. They stirred up the whole city. And the, everybody's mad at Paul now. And the people ran together. Here's the interesting part. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. You know what that means? And at once the gates were shut. They pull him. They drag him. They're beating him the whole time. You ever, 
You ever done that to your kids? Like you've been so mad at them, you like you kind of whoop them as you're walking, <laughs> right? We've done that a couple of times. That, that's, that's in a more serious fashion. That's what they're doing to Paul. They're drag beating him all the way out of the temple. Just fists to his face, kicks to his stomach, to his legs. Anything they can get their hands on, they're, they're, they're pummeling Paul as they drag him out of the temple. What's so interesting is they shut the gates. Do you know why they shut the gates and what gates are shut? They shut the gates to the temple. The, the temple has gates, and, and they, they shut them and bar them. Do you know why? I don't know who does this. I'm assuming it's the officials uh, that are taking care of the temple. They do this because you can't kill somebody in the temple. Even the officials look at what's happening as these guys drag beat Paul out of the temple and think, you ain't doing that in here. They shut the gates on the temple as they, these guys know it too. You can't kill somebody in the temple, so they are drag beating him out of the temple. And in case this fight were to lose more control, this mob were to lose more control, and just to kill Paul wherever they could kill him, if he were to run back into the temple, they shut the gates. Now he can't go back. Because their intention has always been to kill him. They hate him. And they're trying to kill him physically now. It's not just an intent. They've laid hands on him now, and they're attempting to kill him What's so interesting in, in, the, in the next verse, I think, verse, um, verse 31. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all, the, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Word came. That's not, a, that's not a great translation. They left a word out. Word, the word in Greek here is literally, it came up. The word came up. Every time this word is translated in the New Testament, it's almost always came up or went up. Word came up to the tribune that Paul needed help. He doesn't have any interest in Paul, right? The tribune's a Roman. He could care less, and he's going to say that, about Jewish affairs. And in fact, when, we'll get to that in just a second, but he doesn't care anything about Paul. So it's interesting just the timing of his rescue of Paul. Don't, don't overlook that. As you read through Acts, you're going to see God providentially, right? Sometimes miraculously. I don't, I don't think it's miraculous in this instance, but word came up to the tribune. Who told the tribune? I don't know. But I find the timing the perfection of the timing here, uh, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, I think God's got a hand in this. And so it's interesting that Luke seems to indicate to us that God has a hand in helping Paul and the tribune helping Paul. This guy's a, a Roman. Uh, if you read the bulletin article last week, I talked a little bit about who this guy was. Uh, he is... We might call him a general. He's in charge of an army. In fact, he's in charge of uh, around 12 centurions, who's, who those guys are in charge of around 100 soldiers. And so this guy's in, in charge of around a little over 1,000 guys are under this guy's charge. He is the lead Roman soldier in Jerusalem. He, he's the guy. If you've got a Roman problem that demands a, a military response, you go to this guy. And so... Word comes to him that Jerusalem's going crazy, and this guy's at the, at the middle of it, this guy named Paul. And so he, he rushes down to uh, the temple compound, and he seizes Paul immediately. He takes him, 
into custody and his soldiers have him, he's safe. If we can put quotation marks around that for this moment, he's he's safe for this moment. Um, And the tribune is going around to every person. He's like, what's going on here? What, why are you hitting this guy? What, what's this guy done? He's, he's talking to everybody. That's what the text seems to bear out for us. And the roar is so loud that he can't hear them. And they're all saying different things because they don't really have a credible um, uh, accusation against Paul. They're just making stuff up. And they're shouting so loud and there's so much noise and people are still yelling to kill Paul that the tribune can't hear. He's a soldier, right? So he's probably going death through wars and battles, but the, the, the tumult is so loud at this point, he can't hear him. So he takes Paul away. Paul's going to go to this place. This is called the Antonia Fortress. We talked about it a little bit last week. Paul's going to stand on the steps behind the Roman guards here. You see in the forefront of your picture. Interestingly enough, this is the exact spot we think where Jesus pled his case before, or at least where Pilate um, talked with Jesus during his trial. Paul's going to speak to the Jewish people from the exact same steps. So interestingly enough, about 30 years later, Paul's going to be in the exact same spot uh, where Jesus was three decades previously. What's going to happen here as he's being carried, because they, the, the Roman soldiers can't even drag Paul. He's having to be carried now because the mob has surrounded them and they're still trying to kill Paul. So the soldiers have to lift him up above the crowd and they carry him and they're going to set him up on these stairs and they're going to protect the stairs so the crowd can't get to them. And so they, I'm assuming they allow Paul to walk at that point. And Paul turns to the tribune. His name's Claudius Lysias. He says, can I say something to you? And the guy says, well, you speak Greek? I, I assumed that you were the Egyptian uh, that led the, the assassins, about 4,000 assassins, uh, in, uh, in, rev- in, uh, in a revolution. Um, I assumed you were him. History knows about this guy. About four years before Paul uh, sets uh, foot in Jerusalem on this occasion, there's a Jew, uh, there's an Egyptian Jew. Um, we would call him a Hellenistic Jew. He's, he's a Jew, but he's from Egypt. He's outside of Jerusalem. He's from Egypt. And he leads this revolt against Rome, but he, he has these Sicario, they're, they're zealots. Um, Simon the zealot, the apostle, could have been one of these guys. Um, but they would carry these little, these little daggers on the insides of their, uh, of their, their cloaks. They're called Sicarii, a little dagger. And they would come up behind, a, say, a tax collector like Matthew, and they would shove it in his back. Uh, they would come up to any Roman official that they could find and think they could get away with it, or, or even if the Romans did end up killing them. These guys were known as assassins, and they would come up and, and kill the Roman officials. 4,000 of them have been led in a revolt by this Egyptian Jew. The Tribune thinks that that's Paul. The, the Egyptian Jew got away. We, did, we still don't know about what happened to him. Um, but uh, apparently he got away and... and, and lives the rest of his life in freedom or doing something else. But the tribune thinks that that's Paul. And Paul says, nah, you, you got, this is a case of mistaken identity. I'm actually a Jew from Tarsus. Um, and, and all this is just one big misunderstanding. What he says next starts in, in Acts chapter 22. When the uh, Claudian, Claudius Lysias, the tribune, when he gives Paul the go-ahead to talk to the Jewish people, he's expecting 
Paul to give a defense. Why are they beating you, Paul? Well, they said that I brought uh, a Gentile into the, into the temple, and I didn't do that. And that can be proven. Like There's, there's people that can, will validate this response, and you can go ask, and they'll, they'll tell you the truth. That's what Claudius Lysias, the tribune, is, is expecting. That's not what Paul does. Um, listen, listen just to the first couple of verses. Paul's going to talk for a little bit here, several verses, uh, about, about 21 verses, as a matter of fact, uh, to these people. And what's recorded for us is all he says. It's all he gets to say. Um, and so that's interesting in and of itself, and you need to go back and read it. But just for the first couple of verses here, uh, I want to read. I want to read them to you, just to kind of get a feel for what's going on in uh, in this this little section here. Acts twenty-two, verse one. Brothers and fathers, maybe you need to underline those words. And maybe you need to stop for just a second and remember what Paul's gone through. He's standing on these steps, but he's not standing like I might stand like casually like this. He, he's probably wounded, right? He, he's, he's bloody. His clothes are ripped. He's most likely standing weird because he's, he's probably hurt. He, he probably limps. With, he probably walks with a limp now, right? Because they've just beaten him within an inch of his life. Remember, they had intended to kill him. So don't see him standing there just casually. He's a bloody mess. Um, he's probably breathing heavily. He needs to be in the hospital. And to the people that have done that to him, how does he address them? Brothers and fathers. We have this familial shared history. Brothers. Fathers is a term of respect. What's he trying to do here? He's still, he's still trying to make ends meet with these people. He's being so, so diplomatic uh, in, in this passage. You hear more of it here. Brothers and fathers, hear the, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. They all speak Greek, right? Why is he speaking to them in Hebrew? Most likely he's speaking to them in Aramaic. It's the spoken language of the day. Why does he speak to them in Aramaic or Hebrew? Because it's their language. Remember, they had accused him of forsaking the law of Moses. He said, no, I haven't forsaken anything. Jesus has fulfilled all this, and I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm a Christian, right? Uh, and so the heritage that they say he's turned his back on, Paul says, I haven't turned my back on anything. In fact, you've turned your backs on this. He's not going to say it like that because he's trying to be diplomatic. He's trying to make, make, make concessions, make ends meet with these folks. But he thinks, and he will say this in other places, they're the ones who have turned their backs on God, on, on Yahweh. It, it's their fault. Um, they're on the outside now. They're the ones who have betrayed. It's not Paul. He hasn't turned his back on, on his heritage. They have. But he's not going to say it like that because he's trying to be diplomatic. And so he uses Hebrew here. And the mob that has been yelling for the last however long it's taken for them to get here, I would imagine around an hour at least, the mob that's been yelling for like the last hour or so suddenly quiets. And finally there's, there's you can hear. And this is what he says. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. 
educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Oh man, this, this would be like, this would be like uh, you saying I had the, bis, the best business teacher on, on the planet. I had the best nursing teacher on the planet. I had the best professor on the planet in, in my genre of work. Um, you, you don't get any better than Gamaliel. His name, Paul's name dropping here. Um, this is my teacher. This was my rabbi. And everyone in, in all the Jewish people who cared anything about Judaism, and these are the people who care about Judaism, right? There are some Jews who are Jews in name only, uh, and they don't follow the law. They're, they're just her, hereditary Jews, cultural Jews. They don't follow the law. But these guys, they, they are strict adherents to the law. And so Gamaliel's name throws an awful lot of weight with these folks. Paul says, that was my rabbi. I, I wasn't born in this city, but I chose this city, God's city, to live in. And I lived according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. These are our fathers. He, he's, he's pointing again to that common heritage, but he's, he's, he's pointing you back to this strict manner. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? This strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He says, what you're doing is right, and I've been in your shoes. I was just as zealous as you are. In fact, I was more zealous than you are. Look what he says in verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prisons both men and women. My ESV has prison in singular, but that's not the word. It's plural in Greek. He did this in multiple cities. It's not just Jerusalem. By the time he makes his way uh, to to um, to, to Damascus, he, he's done this in more cities than just Jerusalem. It's multiple cities, multiple prisons he's done this to. He says, that's who I was. I've been in your shoes. You want to kill me? I know exactly how that feels. In fact, when God's martyr, when Stephen was being killed, I was the one that was holding people's coats, consenting to his death. I know exactly how you feel. So today we're talking about how to win friends and influence people. That's exactly what Paul was trying to do here. He's being so diplomatic. He's saying difficult things. He's not going to bend the truth, not one inch. He won't. He can't. It's not Paul's um, power. It's not within his power to do that. This is Jesus' law, and he is just the spokesman. So he says the things that Jesus would have him to say. So he can't bend the truth, but he can make it a little bit more palatable for them. And so he does it in Hebrew. Right? Can you speak the truth in Hebrew? Yeah, of course. He does it with respect. Brothers and fathers, I know exactly where you are. I believe you're zealous. I just think it's mis misconstrued. We need to do some tweaking. And if you'll just listen about Jesus and what he, what he, that he's real, that he really is no longer dead, then that will change everything. And that, that, just that one little tweak is all it needs. You see, you see how, how kind he's being? He's saying incredibly difficult things. But he's saying them in such a way that people will listen. We live in just as hot, hostile a culture as his. People may not be dragging you around beating you, but they will shut you down, right? Have you experienced that? I have. They will stop listening to truth no matter how you portray it, but certainly if you portray it in certain ways, you get shut down much faster than in other ways, right? 
the idea that there is only one church and that only the people in that church are the ones who are going to heaven, the ones who will be rewarded, that is a harsh ideal in our culture, isn't it? But is it true? Yeah, it is. The ideal that baptism is the only way to get to the Father and out. If you've not been baptized and you're still lost in your sins and you're condemned to hell, is that uh, an offensive ideal? Is that an offensive phrase in our culture? It, it is, isn't it? But is it true? It is. How we worship, how we're saved, how the church is organized, all these things are difficult things for our culture to grab a hold of because they don't like it. They don't, they're not used to that kind of thinking anymore. Uh, the, the idea of strong devotion, uh, of being sold out, of, of being completely focused on Him and to the exclusion of other things. Those are hard things for us to hear. And when you say that to people, they will shut down. They will stop listening. But you can say them in certain ways that will make them more palatable to people. Those things have to be said, right? Right? Those things have to be said. Those things are truth. We're not bending truth. We don't have that authority. We're simply spokespeople. So we're not bending truth. We're saying truth in a way that people will hear it. Dale Carnegie wrote a book back in the 19th, early 19th century. I'm sure you've read it, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that's, that's kind of what I was thinking as I read through Acts 22 uh, this week. That's, that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's trying to win friends and influence people. He's being so ridiculously diplomatic. As he stands there bleeding, he says, I, I've been in your shoes, brothers and fathers. Please listen to me. So we've got some things to learn from Acts chapter 22. How do you win friends and influence people from Acts 22? Well, I, th I think you've got to want them to listen more than you want anything else. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. As we think about this thought, how, how bad did Paul want the Jewish people to listen? Well, <coughs> excuse me. You heard in our, <coughs> in our, in our scripture reading in uh, Romans chapter 9 that Paul said, I would give up my salvation if the Jewish people would come to Christ. Who are you going to give up your salvation for? You give up your salvation for your wife? You willing to spend eternity in hell for your kids? For your best friend? Nope. Paul says, I want this more than I want anything else. I want them to listen. Why won't they listen? So stubborn, stiff-necked. and That comes across in some of his language, just the frustration. You see it in Stephen's uh, speech, too, toward the end as the, the crowd rallies against what he's saying. But he wants this more than he wants anything else. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire, the only thing I want in my prayer to God for them, Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. You've seen that in Acts 22, right? But not according to knowledge. These guys are passionate, but they don't know anything. They don't know the right things. Their passion is just all over the place. Their zeal is misdirected. And if they would come to him, if they would simply come to Christ, I would give up my own salvation. I would spend eternity in hell for them if they could just come. Just come to Him. How bad do you want the people in your life to listen? That there is one church. 
that there is a correct way to be saved. And that there's only one way. There's not multiple ways. You can't find the sinner's prayer in Scripture anywhere. It's just not there. These things are true. And the first way to make them more palatable to your friends and your family and your neighbors is to want it more than anything else. Because that drives how you say it. It drives how you think about these discussions. It drives how often you bring it up and how gentle you are when you do so. If you were to have a discussion with a friend and they slapped you in the face after that discussion, how often are you going to have that discussion again? You're going to come up Tuesday and have that discussion again? You just get slapped in the face again? Wednesday, you have the exact same discussion and they spit on you this time. Probably not likely to have that conversation very often, are you? What about, let's, let's pull back the, the dramatics a little bit and say they just, they just kind of blow you off. You have that conversation on Monday and they're like, yeah, I'm not interested. On Tuesday, are you going to have that same conversation with them? Maybe, maybe not. On Tuesday, you have the exact same conversation and this time they're a little bit more forceful and they just walk away angrily. Do you have the same conversation Wednesday? How bad do you want this? Paul was willing to give up everything so that these people could hear. And that, that's why he's standing on those steps, all bloody and broken, pleading with them in the most diplomatic fashion he can fathom, that they'll just listen. Just listen for five seconds. How bad do you want it? Because that changes how often you have these conversations with your friends and family, and it changes how gentle you are and how you phrase these things. You don't get to change truth but you can make it more palatable for people in the way that you say it. I think that's the very first step. We have to want this more than anything else. We have to want them to listen. This, this brother's and father's uh, language that Paul uses in this speech, and it's not the only time. Throughout, uh, especially the first uh, 10 or 12 verses of his speech here, he's trying his hardest to identify with them, to get them on his side. Just look and see, I, I've been exactly where you are, is, is what Paul's trying to get them to say. He's, he's showing the utmost respect, the utmost devotion. We would call this gentleness. We need to be gentle as we say these difficult things to our friends and neighbors because we want them to listen. We want them to come. That's our heart's desire. That's everything we want, is for them to come. So how do we get them to come? I think gentleness is a necessary component. Look down um, a couple of verses in Acts chapter 22. Paul's going to have an argument with Jesus. Jesus is going to win. Another spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, in verse 18, Paul comes back to Jerusalem. and His intention is to stay in Jerusalem. Um, he does not intend to go to the Gentiles. God, Jesus hasn't revealed that little part of, the, of his plan to Paul yet. And so he's, he's hanging out in Jerusalem with the other apostles. That's, that's where they all are at this time in history. Uh, and that's Paul's intention. I'm just going to stay here in Jerusalem, um, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and I'll evangelize to the Jewish people. That's his plan. Jesus is going to talk him out of his plan. Verse 18, uh, and 
saw him saying to me, Paul's got a vision of Jesus, and this is what Jesus says, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Here's where Paul pushes back. Verse 19, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. You see what Paul's trying to do there? He's, he, he's, his argument with Jesus is, surely to goodness, they're going to want to know why I changed so drastically. I was going in this direction, persecuting and killing all the Christians I could find. And now all of a sudden, I'm preaching the exact same way that they were, that they were preaching. I'm willing to be beaten and even killed for this way. Surely to goodness, they're going to want to know why. Right, Jesus? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That last little, little bit there, is when the, that's, that's when the fight broke out again. <laughs> Um, and they're going to shout him down, and he's going to have to be removed, and the rest of his story is for next week, at least a portion of it. But his intention was to stay there in Jerusalem, and when the Lord himself said, I'm going to pull you away, Paul says, "Ah, I'd really rather just stay here, because surely they'll listen. They're not going to listen. He's trying his best to be gentle. But it's not going to work. Another thing we need to remember is we need to agree on the authority of Scripture. As we're having these difficult conversations with our friends, that there is only one church, there's only one right way to to worship, to be baptized, uh, for the church to be organized. There's only there's only one Scripture. Um, as we're having those kinds of conversations. With people, we need to agree on the authority of Scripture. When Paul's making his address here to to the Jewish people, he's going to recount his uh, conversion story, his conversion experience. And you remember the story, of course, it's noonday and he's on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden this bright light shines down um, and it knocks Paul and his whole company off their horses. Who else could this be but the Lord? But Paul still asks who's speaking from the light, right? When Paul hears that it's Jesus, his question is, what shall I do, Lord? That's that's the question we have to ask. We've got to get to with people who disagree with Scripture. Um, What what do I have to do, Lord? What what should I do? That's the exact right question. All, All the other questions are, Superficial at that point, before that, before that question is answered, what shall I do, Lord? Everything else is inconsequential. If we can't agree on the authority of Scripture, we're not going to agree on anything. But once I find him saying that there really is only one way to heaven, that there really is only one church, go on down the line. Once I hear him say that, what do I do? I believe it with everything I've got. And I teach it with everything I've got. No apologies. No questions asked. No looking back. Once we agree on the authority of Scripture, I'm in. All all in. The tenderness and the compassion we live with and treat them with 
even when we were reviled, is supposed to open them up. The authority of Scripture is supposed to get us on the same page. If this is what the Bible says, then this is what I'm going to do. We've got to give them time. Something Paul has on short demand here. He doesn't have a lot of time. Um, but when we're talking with our friends and neighbors about these difficult subjects that, that they want to push back against, one of the ways that we can make it more palatable for them to hear this truth is to give them time. Sometimes we want to, we want to say it all right in one sitting, and that's it's probably not the best way to go about that, is it? We need to give them more time to ingest these concepts. Don't expect immediate results. Be patient. Saul was blind for three days. Have you ever thought about that? As he's digesting who Jesus is and what he wants him to do and what all this means, because he doesn't really know what Jesus wants him to do yet, right? During, those three day, during that three-day period, all he knows is that the Jesus that died in Jerusalem isn't dead anymore. And in fact, now he speaks from a throne in heaven and can speak to whoever and whenever and do whatever he wants to. He must be God. And so Paul sits with that knowledge and that knowledge alone for three days. What do you think trickled through his mind during all of that? I think it's like concrete setting up. I think the first day or so, he, he was thinking through, like, there's no way this can be. Well, it's got to be true because I saw the light. I heard the voice. and He said, I'm Jesus the Nazarene. And I know he's dead, but he's not dead anymore. What am I going to do with that? And day two and three was just him solidifying, that, that thought solidifying in his head. And since that's true, since Jesus really isn't dead, everything's changed. Once we give people time with these thoughts, with these scriptures, God has a way of working on them. I can't tell you how many times, and you've probably had this experience as well, that I've sat across the table with someone studying the Bible with them, um, and I've thrown out a verse that offends them, that they don't like, that is not what they learned. That's not what their mom or dad believed. It's not what their pastor taught them. And so when we come across that verse, they, they push back, ah, you can see it in their face. That they don't, I don't like that verse. And, and I don't believe that. And I have all these questions. And there's these, oh, what if, was that really what the Greek word means? I've heard people that don't even speak Greek say that. Uh, is that really what that word means? And, well, yeah, it is. Several times with those studies, we'll just stop the study. Because we're not going to get any farther, right? We'll stop the study and we'll leave them with that verse. Or a couple of other verses like that. And some of you in the audience have done that with me, right? I've done it by yourself even. And you've sat with those verses. And what happens? Oh, they got inside your head, didn't they? And you started thinking, this is truth. It's not what I was raised with. But it's truth. And I'm going to follow it. Give people time. Don't, don't, don't be so impatient uh, with Scripture. God has a way of of working on people through his word, that's more powerful than you can do on your own. Give them time to think it through. Here's our last one. I know we're out of time. 
this goes without saying, but I feel like it needs to be said. Never shy away from the truth. We've talked about this in the last couple of minutes. We don't get to bend the truth. We don't get to uh, shade the truth. We don't get to apologize for the truth. He doesn't need your apologies. This is his word. He's the creator of the universe. He gets to do what he wants to do. You want to do what you want to do, you make your own universe and go do it there. Right? This is not a realm where we're in charge. And I don't get to make apologies for his doctrine, for the things that he wants to teach. I get to say it. By the grace of God, we all get to say it. That he's put this entrusted, as how Paul would say it, this gospel to jars of clay. People are so fragile and silly. and He's entrusted this gospel to us. We don't get to make apologies for it. We don't get to bend it. We certainly don't get to break it. If I'm embarrassed by his gospel, well, he says something about that too, doesn't he? If you're ashamed of me, then what? I'll be ashamed of you. If you refuse to confess my name before each other, before people, I'm not going to confess your name before my Father in heaven. I don't get to shy away from the truth. I get to hold up the Savior of the world and say, if you want to be saved, this is how he said to do it. Won't you come? And we look for ways to make that more palatable, to be gentle, to give people time with Scripture for God to work on them. But we never shy away from the truth. Today, if you're struggling, we want to pray with you that you can be everything that God would have you be. Today, if you've not been baptized into Christ, it is the only way to come to salvation. It's the only way to get to the Father. And if you need either one of those, those, those opportunities, today is your day. Don't wait. Don't, don't push it off. Don't procrastinate. We're good at procrastinating, aren't we? Don't, don't push this one off. Other things can wait. This cannot. Today's the day. If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and sing? I must be
church family. If you're visiting with us, I'm glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and place it in a black box behind you, we'd greatly appreciate that so that way we can have record of your attendance. Um, let me start off with some great news. Um, Hannah and Cody Mead, um, they welcome Kathleen Mead on Monday the 11th. She weighed six pounds and six ounces. And joins big brother Gunner and Cody James and big sister Abigail. Uh, Elizabeth and Ted are happy grandparents, so that's great news. So congratulate them. Um, as Jeremy mentioned earlier, that Life Group 2 and Life Group 3 will be meeting for lunch. Gary's Life Group will be meeting in the middle auditorium. And Jeremy's Life Group will be meeting in the small fellowship room. Um, we're still needing a lot of things for our food pantry. Um, I noticed back there the other day when it came to like um, carrots, we had like five cans of carrots. Uh, we didn't have any pancake syrup or pancake uh, mix uh, and several other things, but the, the list is out there on the foyer board. If you can help out with our food pantry, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, we're still needing a lot of things. We're, we're really low right now. Um, also, deacons meeting today at 5, so all deacons, please put that in your schedule. Um, also, Young at Heart will be heading to Cam's Ham this Tuesday. Uh, we'll meet at 10.30. Anyone's welcome to come to that, so this, that's this Tuesday at 10.30. And then Potluck is next Sunday. It's hard to believe that's the last Sunday of the month. Um, but uh, next, next Sunday's Potluck. I have a thank you card uh, here I'd like to read to you. It says, we would like to thank each one of you who took the time to show concerns for John during his heart valve replacement, especially the prayers that carried us through. In Christian love, John and Brenda Klein. It's good to see John here with us this morning. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. He did go home. Um, uh, well, not home, but he got out of the hospital, uh, then had to go back to the hospital. So keep uh, him in your prayers. He had some diff uh, difficulties. Um, so keep him and his family in your prayers. Keep Jim Haney and Tanya Shamblin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Uh, Judy Jordan finally had her amblasion on um, Friday, so keep her in your prayers as she recovers at home. Keep Carolyn O'Lynn in your prayers as Jerry's sister. Um, also keep Jim Martin in your prayers as he continues his rehab. Uh, keep Roger Pryor in your prayers as well during this time. And also keep Zach Russell in your prayers. He's the principal at Sims Valley. Uh, he's having some heart issues at this time. So keep Zach Russell in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 378. Just a few more days. We'll sing the first two verses and then Brother Nathan Thompson will lead us in prayer.
Just a few more days to be celebrated in town. The old ghost They went quiet by fall and were saying, Your ghost, I shall go to pray. Heavenly Father, we are always so thankful to have the opportunity to come out today to worship together and fellowship. We're thankful for the message Chris brought to us. We ask that you give us the patience needed as we share your love for those that are lost um, and, and let us uh, understand the time needed to, uh, for those people to, to uh, grasp that realization and, and, and be led to you, Father. We, we ask for your love and grace to be wrapped around all those that have been mentioned on the sick list and those that have recovered for, from illness and, and uh, injuries, Father. And we ask that you allow everybody to return home uh, after service today and, and return this evening uh, to fellowship together again and learn more about your love for us. In your, your son's name, amen. 